You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs> Hey, it's Bill Dawes, and welcome to the After Laugh. Um, I'm here with my friend. It's a running joke in the podcast, as I call everyone my friend, and then I have to check to make sure we're friends. Uh, we are. We definitely. Ida are. Rodriguez. Here she is, and she's here with her husband. <laughs> right? Not yet. That's oh, not oh, oh, my well, God. Well, you know what? We're like common law. We're common law. What is common law? <laughs> we live together. We're not doing anything beyond that. That's what that means. No, that's not. What do you mean? Common law is that you you live together and you're not oh, married yet. Okay, okay. Wait, there might be some. Okay, and your full name is, is Emory, wh- Emory Stevens. Emory Stevens and Ida Rodriguez. I have another couple on my podcast, which I'm really excited about because I think the dynamics of couples, anyone dating a comic, first of all, I think you at home, you listening, you in your car should give a round of applause. Take your hands off the steering wheel. Give a round of applause to this <laughs> man for dating a comic. Yes. Because it's next level. Hey, uh, I went to work today, by the way. You went to work today? I went to work all day, and then I do this all night, and then I do it again tomorrow, and then the same thing the next night. So you have a, is it Yob? How do you pronounce it? Job? (laughs) Yob? I know, it's a Yob. So what type of job do you have? Uh, I work for, should I say who I work for? No, what you do. Okay. We're not going to say anything crazy. Why not? All right. No, I can't. They have a brand. 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 He doesn't want to get doxxed. Yeah, because I'm a company hero, like you like to say. No, you are an independent contractor, though. This is true. Okay. I'm a headhunter. So you're I a headhunter. Yes, I, I recruit people. And okay. you're not going to say for what? I can't Protect? say for this particular brand. This particular client is anybody could just link me, go on LinkedIn and figure it out. But yeah, but um, yeah, I won't say that it's Cedar Sinai. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, make he, make the stalkers work for it a little bit. Hilarious. <laughs> no, he's a he's a headhunter though. He works for corporations and finds. He finds uh, people to come work for the companies that hire him. Okay, so the first question I have to ask, and we're going to delve a lot into because I saw you perform. Ida, I got. I keep saying I keep wanting to say Aida because I'm a theater nerd, and that was a big Broadway show when I was in New York. <laughs> uh, you murdered. We'll talk about that, but I'm also way more fascinated in Justice relationship right now. Okay, and how you, yeah, who you've been a comic for how long? Eleven years. Eleven years how you meet like a normal civilian who's like dresses well, handsome, got a job. What's it called? Seems like he's supporting he's support <laughs> he's supporting you. How did that how did that happen? How how does one go about We can be honest. Yeah. Go Tinder. Ahead. Black we people met meet on Twitter. On Twitter? Yep. Well that's kinda cool, I think. It was you know what? It was it was uh It was a series of events. It was it was weird though because we were embarrassed to tell, well, he was Why would you embarrass say that you met on Twitter? It's not like Tinder. Because it's not a dating app, and it's like, it's just as bad as Tinder. No, because I feel like with Twitter, it's like you're exchanging intellectual ideas, and you're having <laughs> banter, and then you can kind of... No, his tweet to me, his first tweet to me was about my haircut. Was it? Yep. Okay. You, were, you told me you liked my haircut. Right. Yeah, then um, she, there, she was in a picture with a person that I knew, which is my in. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, there's there's Ruben. I tell Ruben I said hey, and then I threw some other shit in there. But I I just wanted to just cut through all the 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 clutter. He offered to take us to lunch. He was like brunch, 
brunch. He said, I'd like to hang out with Ruben again and tell Ruben. This is Ruben Paul. No. no. Okay. Another Ruben, ironically. Yeah. Ruben from CAA. What was Ruben's last name? No, <laughs> don't. don't okay. Don't. <laughs> and then we uh, we met for lunch. And that was it. Yep. It's been we've been together. So so back up a little bit. So so the Twitter thing, you, you were following okay. her on Twitter. I was following her on everything. On everything. Oh, so you already were I kind was of already, a little bit yeah, of a fanboy. My plan was in effect. Oh my god, this right. is like that TV series You on Netflix. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Except uh, right. I don't know if he's killed any of my friends yet. But. No, 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 no. And so I, I, I had been following her since um, last Comic Standing. Oh, okay. And then. Um, and then I just happened to see Ruben. I'm like, wow, there's Ruben. And then so I just would make comments on her IG photos from here or there. And then I think you you said something about one of my comments on, oh, she did this one picture where she's trying to look sexy, and but she was at an auction or something. And I'm like, what did I say? I don't remember. I wasn't trying to look sexy. He just thought I was trying <laughs> to look sexy. But I'm just. So you were you, were you negging her? Were you being? Yeah. Like, yeah. I was, yeah. Really, I was oh, doing the anti. Classic. Yeah. And I didn't. I I never. And of you course, never it was a negative. It was a negative comment. So then, and then she she said something back. To I me. responded, but it was nothing. And I you weren't like motherfucker. No, yeah, I no. didn't. It didn't. He didn't matter to me, because <laughs> I didn't know him, and so I never. Did went. you look at his pictures first and be like, oh, of course? No, not that at that time. I yeah. just thought it was another hater. another hater. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how do you go from uh, anonymous hater on IG so to common law husband? You know when he tweet <laughs> tweeted me. What did he tweet at you? When he tweeted about, I like the haircut and something else about Ruben. I didn't know, I didn't remember that, I didn't know that, I didn't connect that, that he was the guy on IG with the negative comment. I went back after I met yes. him and, and looked at the, the and saw his <laughs> comments on my page. Oh, that's so but funny. But I never, I had never, because on, on Instagram I get a lot more comments that are, you know, uh, comments that are people telling me that they think I'm pretty or whatever it is. Yeah. You know? So I don't really, I don't pay attention to. What's interesting comments. is that Emery, you didn't slide into her DMs as the no. kid says. No, I didn't do any of that. I I knew better. He was pretty open, like. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think what happened was, um, I can't remember clearly. It's been so long ago now, but I know it was more along the lines of. Uh, tell Ruben I said, hey, there was some back and forth about Ruben, and I said, I think you owe him, I, I owe him a lunch or something, and then I just said, I take both of you guys out, and you said, and this is all in public. This is all in public, and I, t- I took Got it to balls. the DM because after oh, yeah, I after realized that. that he was like, you're like, wait, <laughs> no, I, I, I yeah, sent him did. a DM and I said, can we have this conversation? Because <laughs> now I'm getting messages from other people <laughs> who are following me saying, well, you going to lunch with that oh, guy? Oh my like, god, that's great. So. Right. But yeah, it was. Uh, so you went to date. You went with Ruben and him. On no, the line. Ruben that never didn't happened. go. Okay. He was like, uh, he said, um, I would like to sponsor one of those brunches. Is what that's he what said. That's what I said. Yes. And then, um, and then that's when I said, okay, let's go to the DM because I was like, <laughs> you put me on blast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the time, my ex boyfriend was following me and saw oh, the interaction and was sending me messages. Oh, really? You were still in the relationship, weren't you? No. Mm, okay. okay. Yeah. Anyway. Let's say no for the sake of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't. But, you know, it was, we had things broke, are, yeah, things get, we yeah, had of broken course. up. And Particularly we in L.A. because it's so easy to be lonely. People are like, oh, okay, well, maybe no, come over tomorrow. No, but he lives in New York. And oh, so okay. we were broken up and it was still, he was still, you know, like, I and I want to, I want to get back together. Yeah. This isn't over. And, um, 
you know, it was, you know, when you break up with somebody and you see that person already talking to somebody else? Uh, I, no, because I've blocked every single platform <laughs> on social media once we broke it up. All so, right. no, I don't know that. It's hurt, it, it's hurtful. So Of course. I'm not going to, you know, throw it in his face either. Yeah. So I was trying to be thoughtful about the fact that he was still, you know, he was still. Yeah, he's still getting over and it. And I didn't, I didn't have a bitter breakup with my ex-boyfriend. It was an amicable split. And, yeah. you know, I still have nothing but respect and I don't have anything negative to say about him. Yeah. So it, it just didn't work out. But I, it wasn't like one of those, you know, it's not like, yeah, fuck you. I hope you hear. I hope you see. And I didn't, well, you're not that type of person anyway. I don't think yeah. you have any negative relationships in the past. Oh, I do. But I wow. Don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Um, that's that's well, high we praise. Just, I just went with your ex-husband to your daughter's graduation this summer. Yeah. That's that's pretty fun. great. You have a good relationship with your ex-husband. That's well, we've evolved, and um, I just, you know what? I when you, I think that when people, when you see a lot of passion between people who are not together anymore, there's something sis- underneath there. Yeah, I was really over it. Yeah, so I'm with him. I don't. I'm not. You know, I'm not interested in that anymore. So yeah. to me, I'm really over it. And I think that's the scary thing for people when they see that you're not angry you don't want to argue you don't you really don't care yeah, anymore. you're like, like oh you got a new uh, girlfriend yeah i want to meet her they're like oh my god she's really over me yeah for and, sure um, i don't want to harbor those kinds of feelings plus I, I love him so i was i don't feel like I, I wasn't in the past anymore i was totally immersed in my present yeah that's fascinating so uh the, one of the things that when i had this previous couple <laughs> she said that she was trying to have a baby with him and I said, "How did you? How did you find out?" And he said, "I found out because she said it on stage." Oh yeah. <laughs> she said, "I'm trying to have a baby with my boyfriend. He doesn't know it yet." Of course, he's trying to have a baby. That motherfucker is the showrunner. So, have you had? <laughs> have you? Had, yeah, you wrote on Friends. That, that, I think you still get residuals until you die. So, what? Uh, have you had moments as a couple when she says things on stage? Because she does talk about you. I mean, yeah. one thing I'll say about you, Ida. I've, I've We've I've known you, I guess, almost as long as you've been doing yeah, comedy. Yeah, since I started. Yeah. Uh, well, at least at the Laugh Factory, and uh, and you've always been good. You've, you, if I were to use one word about you, and this maybe sounds cheesy, I would be authentic. Oh, thank you. You are very authentic, and I feel like I actually feel like in the past few years, you you've even made a turn. Yeah. Where shit. Absolutely. Where I was watching, I was like, yeah, she's good, she's funny, and then I was like. Not only were you funny and and real and coming with some like serious truths, but murdering Thank in you. a way that is very rare. Because uh, I've talked about this show before. There, there's sort of like if there's a Venn diagram, there's the clean comic, there's a comic who kills, and there's a comic who's personal, right? D- to get all three in the middle, where you're clean and you're personal and you're killing, is super rare. Very few comics do it. You can name. You can name a dozen who can do two, but one who. So I've been noticing wow. you're doing like you're being clean. You're being like you're a bit about cats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Now what? So what is uh What was that shift for you in your comedy? You know, um, I uh, I made a decision. I think about a few years ago. You know, how everybody's always like, when you find your voice, you find your voice. I can't tell you how many times I thought that I found my voice. Yes. And now that I am um, where I am now in comedy, I realize that I'll never find my voice because I will always continue to evolve. Yeah. And I will always grow. But I think that a few years ago, um, I was really taking uh, the temperature of comedy and paying attention to the people that I really admired. 
and I, I watched uh, Kathleen Madigan, mm-hmm. and I was I I noticed that when people say Jackie Cation is funny, they don't say she's funny for a woman. They just say, say she's, she's funny. funny. Yeah, and they say that about Kathleen Madigan and Laurie Kilmartin, and a lot of people, Ma- Maria Bamford, like the people who I respect and admire, who don't have gimmicks. They just yeah. have a microphone and a story. And um, I, I said, I want to be in the company of the people who intimidate me. Right? Yeah. So I just started really working on just showing up in my most authentic place. Like I, in my mind, I'm naked and just working from there as opposed to going on stage with bravado because I, I can oh, be sure. tough and I already have that. Yeah. But the what makes me... Um, what, fle- what feeds me as a comedian is knowing that I can connect with people who I have nothing in common with. Yeah. And that makes me that makes me excited knowing that I can possibly bring, uh, you know, that the fact that I can walk into a room and connect 300 people that come from different places at one thought in laughter makes me feel like I'm doing something right. Yeah, for sure. I feel like that's I think most shows that we do together in Long Beach, the Long Beach yeah. Live Factory. And that's a perfect example of a room. I, Emery, you've been I've to the Long Beach, yeah. Times. So it's it's a place where you have literal like just meth heads. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> then there's also a lot of married people. Yeah. There's a very LGBTQ yeah. community. Big. Then you have like people just Mexicans, office workers, and lots of Mexicans. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of redundant. We're in California, of course, but um. But the no, 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 no laugh on that. Okay, anyway. No, it's funny though. <laughs> but you know, it's funny that you notice this because you you always pay attention to the audience the the, the filipinos or the mexicans yeah. the black people in long beach it's a whole different culture than now yeah you know for and, sure and they are people that go to work every day they pay for a sitter and they pay for parking and they go it's not like these people here who get these tickets off of a website and they know a comedian yeah they're really a regular people in life absolutely it's, it's almost like a slice of of what you get in the rest of America. Yeah. I, I feel like it's a better litmus for performing, for headlining, like in different states. Yes. Um, and uh, wh- where do you head? Do you headline around the country now? Is I that do, something you do? I do. Think, yeah. I've been headlining for uh, five years now. Okay. And um, I've been working. I just came from Arizona and I'm going. How was that for you? Because I imagine that crowd is very conservative. Yeah. And they loved me. You know, and not to sound like a narcissist. No, but of course, I get that. Yeah. I tell you, it was a very interesting show for me. Um, I did a weekend at the House of Comedy. Uh This is the show where I told him I had the most people wait in line after the show to try to give me a hug. And it to was give you a hug, yeah. So no merch, just like they bought merch. They bought. But mer- they, I sold out of my merchandise. Wow. But people would. This man came up to me, this white man with his wife, and he was like, "Can I just give you a hug?" It was, and I was like, "Do they feel sorry because <laughs> of my story?" But it wasn't. It was just the fact that I went there and I showed up for other people. You know, like I was listening to comedians tonight, and you know, shitting on Republicans. And yeah. I just I feel like my job as a comedian is to make fun of everybody. Yeah. I don't I don't want to take sides. I don't I where I where I live in my political world and where I live as a comedian are two different places. Sure. And I don't take that on stage with me because I'm not a political comic. Yeah. So I want I think that we when I watch the late night shows, I remember I miss Johnny Carson because Johnny Carson would make fun of everybody. Yeah. You know, and now it's everybody is so partisan. 
and it's so divisive. But I think that comedians are the people who bring people together. So yeah. we should make fun of everybody. Like I don't. I mean, I I lean more towards the le- the left in terms yeah. of my social beliefs or whatever. But I don't want to make people who grew up in church that have a belief because they grew up that way feel like they're less than or yes. as not as smart as because you know I grew up in church. Yeah. And I, I just think as as a comedian, I just want to make everybody laugh. So I'm going to Minnesota next month. The Mall of America. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. Reno. And yeah, I'm going to be in Reno in two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to Washington State. Um, those are my weekends, for, and uh, and then I'm going to Vegas for a week. So yeah, my I I work everywhere, and um, I tend to do really well in uh, more conservative crowds. That's I really want to talk to you about that because same with me, yeah. and I've always been super. I, I mean, I'm liberal. Yeah. You know I. Very, and I say this on stage is like I believe in equal rights for bitches. <laughs> I think I believe women should be pro-choice as long as they choose abortion. So whatever. But I'm, I'm I know the stupid jokes. But I'm I'm I've my dad's Republican, mm-hmm. my mom's drunk, uh, and <laughs> my brother's Republican, and my dad's one of the best people I know. So there's a part of me, and then meanwhile I have a brother who's a doctor who's the most liberal person I've ever yeah. met. My brother's a re- my brother's Puerto Rican and he's Republican. Yeah, and you know. So I'm always in this position where I love my brother, I love my father. One one of my brothers is a cop. So when I hear all this stuff about how all cops are racist, then I start to blanch because I'm like, but no, that's not exactly what it is. I feel like the world, it's very hard for the world to live in the gray area. Right. Like what happened with the D.C. March for Life where these kids from Covington, the Catholic school, and the Native American was banging the drum. Um it just got so partisan so quickly, and everyone was like, these racist, smug kids, I want to punch them in their face. They got doxxed. They had a bomb threats at the school. And I'm starting to find myself getting more, like, I keep saying, like, please, liberals, don't make me Republican. That's hilarious. Well, you know, with those kids, um, I'm a mom. Yeah. So when I look at, I saw somebody post the boy's name, his identity, his redundant they had posted his identity is out and his, I think his family's number, address I, think I believe a phone number I don't know about I didn't see the one with the address but I didn't want to support that because that's still a kid yeah um, I uh, I think those kids were more assholes than anything else because I saw the um, I saw the video of them mocking the girls I saw them chasing the girls I saw are those the same kids yeah I saw the videos with them saying uh, it's not rape if it's see the thing. Yeah, I, I saw it too. I didn't know if it was the same kids. Yeah, though. it is. It was the same kids. And the and the girl. There's a girl who posted a video of them harassing them. Yeah. Um. And and she showed them, and she was like, I I only posted this video because everybody was everyone trying. was coming to the defense. But um, you know what I think about mass hysteria and groupthink is, it's driven by I think their assholeness is driven more by privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go to a school. One of those kids' mom is a very powerful woman. She paid a PR firm to yeah. try to clean it up, and it got really ugly. Um, but I think that that those social issues are all of our problem. It's yeah. not. It's not the Republicans' problem. It's whoever's in office. It's everybody's problem. You know. Yeah. And um, I don't. I think liberals sometimes alienate people more than they're the they're the they're the ones that are at the epicenter of outrage yeah and, um, which is weird because they were always the con- smart compassionate ones who could sort of 
weigh complicated emotional issues and speak on that. And now I feel I, there was a study years ago about a Republican brain and a liberal brain. This is like maybe 10, 15 years ago. And they found that the Republican brain reacts the way that a drunk person reacts at a bar. Wow. It's like very quick, right angles, snap judgments, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, and the liberal brain processes more. And mm-hmm. they've done the same study now. The results are the opposite. Right. They've, the results have reversed. Where now the liberals are the ones making snap judgments. Now they're the ones that are quick to condemn and acting with no empathy. And as a comic, I have very specific s- views on that. And I'm wondering... Do you feel, in terms of your shift in comedy and how you've become more authentic and how you've sort of hit this groove where you've found, and what you said was really profound about your voice always changes, so finding your voice is sort of a, a, a fake idea, but the fact that you've, where your voice lines up right now with your comedy is so effective, do you feel this is connected to that change in terms of the PC culture? Do you feel like people look at you as a remedy to that? Yeah, you know, I um, first of all, people always assume that it's really inter- interesting because liberals assume that I'm more conservative because I'm Latin and I'm probably religious. Interesting. Conservatives think I'm liberal because I'm a person of color. Okay, person of so color. So people are always making an assumption about me. I, I'm more, um, I always say I don't lean left or right. I lean forward towards progress because I really want to see a better world. And a better world has to include all of us because half of us ain't going anywhere. You know, yeah. But um, what I what I did find was, I don't think sometimes liberals realize how condescending they can be yes. to people in marginalized groups. I don't need you to speak on my behalf. I don't need you to treat me like um, I like you need to be protected yeah, by the white women. By white women, it's and really it's, white women. Let's yeah, be honest. Absolutely, and it's 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 insulting. Um, you know, it's paralyzing because if you have that. If you have that type of thought around young black foster children or children who are being adopted, you're raised, these are the people raising these kids, telling them, oh, you, you, I needed to rescue that savior complex. Is, it's, it's like the blind side with Sarah Bullock. Yes, and it's insulting, and it is, it's condescending, and I'm, being, I'm saying it over and over again because that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. And sometimes I watch uh, liberal people, and, and I, like I had a conversation with a gay person the other day, and I was like, hey, I want you to tell me what those things stand for, the LGBTQII, because they added an I. Yeah. There was a time where there was two Qs, which one was queer. Queer and questioning. questioning. But now that's not it. Alonzo Bowden has a great bit about that. He goes, yeah. questioning is like, you know, you got a question? Take a <laughs> cock in your ass, figure it out. <laughs> and it's funny because it's like it, the jokes write themselves, right? Yeah. So then now there's the I, and then I asked this guy, and he's gay, and he's very vocal. And he said, I don't know what the other I stands for. Yeah. I've heard I, different things, too. I think even the community, they have different ideas about that. Some say it's intersex. Well, that's one I. And then the, and the other one is uh, I is not ally, but um, what what's the other I? No, I don't know what it is. Well, there's A, which yeah, is a ally. And now it's asexual. Or it could be ally or asexual. Right. And then there's I, which is either intersex or like intergalactic maybe yeah, i know but I they're know. Act, they added another eye which is new so there's two in eyes the, in the last couple of weeks no way so my, my point is that just how we had this conversation i had this conversation with this gay guy and i was like how do you expect us who are not in that in that sector to to know this if you don't even know it yourself yeah and there has to be an opportunity for growth and learning and information for people if you want people to understand and empathize you know that was like when black people started 
being called African Americans, and yeah. it was an a- educational process where people went from color to to black to African American to back to black. Yeah, and to back to black. But it's like, and and not to compare black people to the gay struggle because the the, the black struggle is a, is a whole different whole different thing. That you can walk around being gay, and nobody knows it. People always know you're black. Yeah. So, but it's just it's just confusing, and I think that. It, you know what it feels like now, Bill? It feels like the little kids from Lord of the Flies. It feels like everybody is got ready to kill Piggy. And, you know, people <laughs> yeah. with these mobs of people just um, ready to stomp on somebody for saying something wrong as opposed to embracing and saying, hey, let me let me pull you to the side and explain to you this is how this works. You may not want to say that. That's not okay. They don't do that anymore. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting to me because I've always thought – and I don't know if you, I always think that the only way you can move forward as a community, as a culture, whatever, is through love. Yeah. It's not through condemnation. It's not for saying, it didn't work when people were saying, hey, gay people, that's a sin. And it's not right. going to work when you say, hey, Republicans, you're evil. Right. So uh, I don't know how that really looks in the context of comedy, other than the fact that when you do conservative crowds and you know they're conservative, um, you... Uh, are there ways that you go, okay, I got to protect this crowd from certain truths or me saying so? I mean, you go into like Arizona, you see the ranchers and the bellies and the plaid and the, mm-hmm. and the Stetson hats and go, I'm not going to say certain bits. No, I don't do that. I don't code switch because I think is. Uh, so even in urban rooms, white no, rooms, it doesn't matter. You're just, you, that's, I just that, yeah, me. I noticed that. Yeah. I think it's hypocritical. What I, what I will say is that. What those people walk away saying is that you gave me insight to what it's like to be you and in your world. Wow. And it gave me perspective and that gave me something to think about as opposed to um, I listen, I don't, I don't go on stage ever and say, fuck Republicans. You guys, the Trump supporters are dumb. You know, my my nephew's mom is a Republican Trump supporter and my nephew is my brother's son. And he's, uh, you know, my sweetheart. I love I adore my nephew. Yeah. So. I, I, I uh, and and not that um, I I agree with her politics because I I don't you know I I always question why you think what you think yeah more than I think more than I question what you think I want to know where that comes from yeah and I think just a lot of people's are people so many people are dri- driven by fear right now of course and on every side and it's um it's an interesting what fear can can breed in people when you start seeing people um, really really talk about what they're afraid of, then you start really seeing who they are. And, yeah. you know, I'm also a believer in, um, I believe in that the powers that be are operating strongly for the divide and conquer because whether you're, you know, your brother being a cop who's a blue collar worker and, you know, my uncle who works at, uh, you know, to help homeless people, they all, none of them matter to the top 1%. So mm-hmm. as long as we are fighting amongst ourselves, they get stronger, they get richer, we struggle more. Yeah. People don't have a living wage. People are really frustrated. And I just think that therein really lies the problem. So to yeah. really start fighting with somebody in Omaha who doesn't have any teeth in health care, who thinks they're better than an immigrant, is a waste of time. Yeah. Because that person is drowning in ignorance, probably poor, and has been programmed to believe that the reason he's in that condition is because somebody who probably will never ever work in the same place that they work is taking everything from them. Yeah. And that's a really sad state to be in, you know? Yeah. 
So I don't, I'm not going to go and fight those people, but people are being driven by fear and we got to really focus on education and information because information is power. Now, do you feel, I I know you say that you're not political in your comedy. I think the nature of of the authenticity of your comedy makes it, it makes it political, at right? At some point, some you know, at some do, point, because yeah. you have to like you make us, you're I making mean, a stand. I was invited to Politicon this. Last oh, you year. were? Yeah, I was at Politicon. So, would you ever be interested in? Because you're very eloquent, well spoken, and obviously passionate. Would you ever be interested in doing something political or running for office no. in some way? You Has know what? No today, you. people um, on Facebook, Instagram, I've gotten so many people saying, "What will you run for office? Sure, Why don't you run for office?" I don't. I think. Listen, I don't think. People will remember Dan Quayle the way they remember Muhammad Ali. You know, Muhammad Ali remained on the ground and did so much more for people than any politician because he didn't belong to anybody. Yeah. He wasn't on anybody's payroll. He was sheerly driven by humanity, a citizen of the world, and creating a better world for all of us. And I'd rather rather be more focused on that because I watched the corruption take over a a politician. I'm watching Alejandra... Ocasio-Cortez. AOC, yeah. Yeah, I love her. But I can see the the fame and the celebrity rising in her. Yes. And, you know, it's when once you got to be careful with that because it's never about you if you really are about the people. Yeah. You know, it's about creating um, a bridge and bringing along all the other people who are not getting as much attention as you are and saying, we are doing this but when it becomes i i i i said this i d- it's very dangerous yeah. you know and um i just i don't want to be a part of that i want to sure. i want to be a part of actual change and action and you feel that in your comedy do you have a conscious thought of when you're headlining weekend like i i want to be a part of of conscious change here like Absolutely. You, yeah that's beautiful yeah. now where where did this come where did this sort of i guess it's kind of like an almost like an activist mentality was we're like, where are you from? Let's go back. Let's Tarantino this story. Go oh. back to the beginning. <laughs> Miami. I grew up in Miami, Florida. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And Were you a daughter of, of immigrants? or? Yeah, my mom. Well, my father is uh, from a third world country. He's from the Dominican Republic. Uh-huh. He is. Uh, he was deported. So I wasn't. I, I, my father was deported three times. I didn't grow up with him because I grew up in America. And my mom wanted me to have opportunity and, and have a better life. And my mom is from Puerto Rico, so she's naturally a citizen. Yeah. So I wasn't able to grow up with my dad because my dad was, deported. which is which is another level of crazy that mm-hmm. the DR does not have the same rights that Puerto Rico does. Right, right. But anyway, so your father was deported three times. He would come back illegally and then yeah, deport him and again. Yeah, the last time. He, so he, so you couldn't see him because of that. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't grow up with him. So, wow. Um, but I grew up in Miami, and I've always, first of all, I've always wanted to be an artist. I was fascinated with stand up comedy at a very young age. Yeah. I would say. Six, seven years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you remember who you first watched? uh, Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson. And uh, Richard Pryor. I used to sneak and listen to my uncles uh, listening to the (laughs) albums because my mom wouldn't let me watch, listen to that stuff. Of course. But uh, I remember specifically hearing Richard Pryor do his bit about talking to the dog. Uh Um, And that was the, I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. You know, I want to make people laugh. I also used to listen to stand up in Spanish with my mom. Oh, wow. Um, who uh, are the big Spanish stamp comics? Uh, Eugenio Del, uh, Eugenio Del Best is who he is big now. But um, Paul Rodriguez, it, I imagine. Well, Paul Rodriguez, uh, you know, our, our hero is, uh, um, what's his name? The Puerto Rican that passed away. Uh, Freddie Prince. Freddie Prince. Um, Norman Lear told me that I was gonna, I had to. 
finish Freddie Prince's work. Oh, wow. But um, no pressure there. I know. Right. Alvarez Hedes is a Cuban. He's dead now, but he was a Cuban um, comedian that was signed to a very big record label in the I guess in the 70s. And I remember, you know, listening to him in the 80s and he was uh, so funny in Spanish. And I always was fascinated by stand-up comedy. It, it was something that, something that I was deterred from, from my family, because my mom was like, that's not for girls, and no man is going to want to marry some goofy girl. Oh, wow. So she told you that when you were how old? Little. I was like seven. You eight. were little. You're like, mommy, I want to be a yeah. stand-up comedy. She's like, no one will ever love you. Yeah, she'd be like, no man is going to want to marry a woman that's goofy. And I was like, Lucy, Lucy, because <laughs> I used to love Lucy. Yeah. But, um, you know, I came back to it when it was time, and it was it was later. But How I, old were you when you came back to it? Um, I started doing stand-up when I was 30. 30, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was just something I wanted Interesting. to do. Interesting. So, for in, in, that, in the interim of that time, so this is something that was in your heart, you'd obviously had this idea that this isn't what you should do as a as a lady, yeah, as a I person a, who wants to. I tried to be a model. and or uh, I modeled for a while. I was signed to IMG, where Tyra Banks was. And you were in Miami at the time. Yeah. That was, a, I mean, it's a huge scene in South yeah, Beach from Michelle Miami. Yeah, Michelle was my were you agent. Were you part of the scene, like, that go up my nose? Let's do it. Uh, was Were you doing do drugs. drugs and party, no? No, I became anorexic, though, but I didn't do sure. any drugs. I had too many drugs in my family, so I was always afraid of drugs. Yeah. Um, and I didn't do, yeah, I didn't do drugs, and... But I did abuse diet pills, and of I course, did yeah. become really sick with. Um, and did you have agents like, "Hey, you gotta lose five pounds if you want man, this campaign"? Katya Jaretsi, I always say her name because I want her to know and feel my wrath. I got down to 117 pounds, and she said to me, "Do you think you can get down to 100?" From 117? Yeah. And I was Ugh. really sick, but um, so and I was a goofy. Like I was always being funny, you know. I was always trying to be funny on the shows and i was good i was really good on the runway that was my the runway was my passion um, really yeah pictures i hated taking um I and so you could express your personality and feel like you could be creative on the runway yeah but you know why because i'm a stand-up yeah and um jeff stilson who um jeff stilson is, was the ep of last comic standing one of uh -huh. the eps but he's a he's a guy that worked on the chris rock show the george lopez show he told me that he wanted to do something with me. You know, he was like, I think you're, there's something about you and I really believe that you, you got something special. But I, I, I've been working with him for a few months. And I said to him, I said, what is it about me that made you say that? Yeah. Was it a joke? Was it a show? He said, no, the way you stand on stage. That's hilarious. He said, you, you, it, and then he, he told Bill Schecht about me who used to write David Letterman's monologues. Uh-huh. And day, he said, Bill, you got to go see her. Because when I was meeting with Bill in New York a few months ago, and I said, what did Jeff say to you when he said, uh, go see Ida? What made you come out and see me? Because everybody's always asking him to go see people. He said, Jeff said, you got to see the way she stands on stage. <laughs> That's so crazy. And it was weird because I, I, I still to this day don't know what that means. But I asked Jeff, he said, your feet are planted. That's true. And he said, you are unapologetically standing up there. And he said, your nonverbal, what you do without opening your mouth, says more than you'll ever know. Interesting. To those of us who know stand up. And he said, and, you know, with women, I rarely see it. And he wow. said, not that there aren't any great women stand ups, but he said, there's this thing about the way you stand. 
And so here you're talking to a, about a guy who worked with Chris Rock, George Lopez. He's working with Louis Black right now. Yeah. Um, and I was, you know, still to, I'm still trying to figure out what that means because I'm just being me on stage. It's not a conscious thing. Sure. But I know he probably shouldn't told it to you. Don't you? <laughs> They're gonna think about how you stand yeah, on stage. Yeah, I've been today. I didn't <laughs> think about it because I was caught up in the set. But when I was on the runway, yeah, I remember that I would always walk to the end of the runway and stop, and then go back. And yeah. so it was this thing about being grounded and always planted, and um, and it just it's always been with me. Yeah, you know? that's now when you started at age thirty. So that's a big step. Did you go? Did you know this is what I want to do? You're like, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. No, I listen, I, I went on stage the first time and I killed. I had a really Really? Great Where were set. you? I was, this is going to be really funny to you. My very first show in doing stand-up, I got paid $500. What the fuck? They flew me to Arizona to the Orpheum Theater and I did five minutes. I got a hotel room. I got paid. I was on the radio station that uh, Jamie Foxx had, the Foxhole. Uh-huh. And I, um, they, they kept saying, you're a stand-up, you're a stand-up. And I was so you were, you were doing radio at this point? You yeah, were I was radio. just doing, I was just going there to, to talk on the radio. How did you get that gig? How did that come um, about? Speedy, who is Jamie Foxx's friend, had a conversation with me, and he's like, you have a lot to say. You should come do this radio show. And then I did it the first time, and they were like, can you come back? And then they were, he, he was like, you're a stand-up. And then Chris Spencer was like, I did a, we did a roast for a friend of ours, her birthday party. And he said, you are a stand-up. He's yeah. like, go to the Westwood Brewing Company and start building a set. And then I go do this radio show, and they're like, we're putting you on the show. It was, so, was this Jamie Foxx's show or something? Yeah, it was Jamie, Jamie Foxx produced it. Okay. So I go, I do the show, five minutes. I remember my jokes. It was about being a failed model, blah, blah, blah. The first time I realized how long five minutes, <laughs> how long a five minute set is when you don't. When have you it. haven't, yeah, you haven't been. And then what were I, you? Do you remember? Can you say it was some just of those adrenaline jokes? rush? Do I was just like, no, I, I said I, I, I was a, I was a model. I got tired of being hungry. <laughs> you know, my whole, I did it. I didn't do it on last. I've never done that on TV, but it was just very interesting that I killed, right? Yeah. And then I was like, mm. then I came to Laugh Factory. And I did Chocolate Sunday's first impression. Sure. Ooh, which if people don't know, so Chocolate Sunday is, is an, an urban show, which is code for like mostly black show mm -hmm. uh, with black comics. It's black produced, black mm -hmm. owned. And they usually have like one crack on a show. I know that because I've been that crack <laughs> on the show. Like that. Yeah. And um, and it's it's it can be very intimidating for people. And, and particularly it, and the, the first impressions you kind of you're sort of the show before the show right so it's almost harkens back to the old days of the showtime of the apollo yeah and the where like the sandman with the cane was going to come out with some of these people so how'd that go for you so and and at that time because you know now chocolate sunday is a little more integrated it has a more diverse audience and it's a little bit more um but at that time it was at the height this is when chris spencer was yeah, was, yeah. and okay. it was really really like uh, no, David Arnold was hosting. Okay. And I go on stage, and I'm, I'm just, I go on. I'm so <laughs> confident because I killed that. Because you just show. so this is your second show. My very second show. Your second show was one of the hardest rooms in LA. I go up, and I am doing so well for the yeah. first minute. And you know, Pookie told me, Pookie, who's the producer of the show, was like, she's not ready because a friend of he and a friend. Uh, 
we have a friend in common and I, I've known Pookie for a long time. He's like, she's not ready yet. She's not ready yet. She's not ready yet. So I go on stage, I deliver my first joke and it rips. Yeah. And then I look at Pookie and I said, who's not ready? You said that? Yeah. <laughs> and then I proceeded to bomb for the next two minutes. Oh and those were the longest two minutes ever. <laughs> do you it remember? Like do you remember? Like, oh, wah. like the. So they were reacting. They were, you weren't bombing where they were ignoring you. You were bombing where they were like, boom. No, they were just looking at me like, what, what? is? What is she? They look. You know, like people look at you like, what is she doing? Yes. Like, and it was so bad that <laughs> Pookie w- said, "I wanted to rescue you like you were my child," because <laughs> I've always been his comedy baby. Yeah. And um. That was when I said, I want to do this, when I bombed. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I think that's for a lot of people. It's not usually, uh, you guys got some time, right? Mm-hmm. You can you can get like 15 more minutes, right? Yeah, my, my set is that. I mean, improv's just on the street. Yeah. Um, he's being a, a good husband, showing her the phone. Checking mm-hmm. it. So, um, oh God, what I, I, I texted him the other day huh? when I was on the ship, and I said. What, you're doing a cruise ship? Yeah. Oh, so let me tell you why I did this cruise ship. I did my first cruise. Well, money. Well, not just money, but um, I wanted to. Di- I wanted to try it because everybody says it's so hard to do, and I wanted to um, be able to try my jokes, squeaky clean. Squeaky clean. You got to be squeaky, like two hours of squeaky clean, right? That's what. Well, I didn't have to do two hours, but you had to have two separate sets, two thirty-minute sets that were that were clean. Yeah. Cause you can't do the same set. Squeaky clean, squeaky like squeak, clean, squeak. There were seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds oh, in the wow. audience, and I wanted to uh, challenge myself. Uh, yeah. And do something that was on my list of things that people said I couldn't do, and wow. I did it. Um, but I learned so much on the cruise, and I don't. Um, one thing I always hear from comics is saying cruise comics are shitty, and cruise comics <sighs> this and cruise. I, I just have a, dis, a respect for everybody on our in our comedy world because yeah. there's room for us all. And some of us have a specific, um, you know, we all have our roles. Yeah. And those comedians really do bring joy to people. Absolutely. You know? That being said, I never want to do a cruise again. Oh, really? Well, it's weird that you were you got offered one cruise because I usually feel that... Um, Oh, is that, I think That's that might you. be me coming through my phone. That is you. Who the fuck would be calling me right now? The podcast guy. Oh, fuck. Oh, I th- okay. Sorry about that. Um, This is the magic of... Uh, this is the oh, magic... the husband thing. Um, I should probably plug he my phone in. This is all I'm part not, of it, guys. Just it, it, it actually is. This is part of I was like, I want to do it outside because I don't want to be in like a stuffy like studio. I want it to be like weird and shit. Um, and my neighbor comes by like drunk all the time, bring home like tin- <laughs> Tinder blaze. and sh- It's so bizarre. Anyway, um, I just want to make sure that might be the next person uh, coming. Um, I'm getting bumped. You're not getting bumped. <laughs> That's funny. The fact that uh, you know the terminology. Well, I am so, you know. Okay. Deeply entrenched. Yeah. So, uh, I want to get back to this. So, if there's so I feel like I could do a three-hour podcast with you. So, you did the cruise ship because you were like you, and you learned what you learned. First of all, I learned um, the power of writing when you're a comedian. Understanding how to connect with all people, not just the people you like. Yes. Um, because it's important to do that. Uh, it's so easy to go and perform in front of audiences that you know are going to like you because yes. they lean more your way. 
or you know they 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 curate these shows for the people who are gonna like the comedians who are on there. That doesn't happen on a ship. The ship is you, these people, and you know the way it works is like this one. I go on two shows on uh, the Monday. The first show, squeaky clean. First squeaky, yeah. And then the second show is you can do whatever you want um, as long as you don't offend people, groups, you don't make fun. Uh, you, which is really funny. One of the rules is you can't make fun of obese people. <laughs> Whoa! And I learned why <laughs> on that cruise. Because you went to the buffet the next day, and you're like, oh, <laughs> everyone's and dying of so diabetes. Yeah, you can't. They they were like, you can't make fun of obese people. The second show is clean. The third show is a PG thirteen show, and then we do two theater shows. The first show is clean, all new material, and the second show is not clean. And then the the last two shows are they can they can bleed into one another because the material has been seen. And some people, I have people that came to every single one of my shows, which I don't know why, but they're on a ship and they don't, you know. How many shows was it? Seven. I did seven. And they came shows. to seven shows. Yeah. But were you do but you had to do the same set kind of from uh, the first the first half of the cruise you do one set and then the second half of the cruise Oh. But the host has to do a new set every show. So wow. he has to do seven sets but they're ten minute sets. Yeah. And you can do crowd work I imagine. Yeah, well. they lo- they they prefer they want you to do crowd work. Yeah. But um yeah, I learned a lot. I learned um a lot about myself. One of the things that I have to work on as a comedian is that when I feel rejected by the audience, I can be I can turn on them. I I, I want to ask you about that because when you do that to me, I w- like I do that, but it's fake when I do it. I like know. I, I really turn on them in like a way like fuck you, and I hit the mic stand over it, but it's kind of like an act. Yeah, you really feel like you get angry when they when they aren't uh, getting your shit. It's not anger. It's more hurt. Hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I have abandonment issues. <laughs> that's that's actually really amazing. That's thing true. to talk about. No, it's the truth. So I, I did a show a few weeks ago at the Savoy, and the audience didn't go well, uh, or I didn't think the audience was going with me, and that's in my head because sometimes they are going. They're with listening, me. but there's not vocal. Yeah, and yeah. I'm just like, oh, they don't like me, and then I'm like, you people are broke, and those people <laughs> are rich, and they hate you, and I hate you too, <laughs> and uh, I had to, you know, on the cruise, I was faced with an audience that was very difficult for me. And uh, there's something at stake because you can get fired. Of course. So it's not like the Savoy or the improv. You got a bad show and you tell people to go fuck off. You leave. You can't do that at the cruise ship. You can't do that on a cruise ship. Yeah. So I was confronted with one of my greatest issues as a comic. Wow. And I had to really deal with that and operate in grace and operate in humility and be very vulnerable because you can't. You, You just cannot turn on the audience. It's absolutely not an option. And it helped me because I, I needed that. I, I had been going through this before the cruise um, and just thinking about, he tells me, you know, like you, how you got to approach when the audi- when it's not going your way. And it's not always because I've bombed before and I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think it's, it's uh, when people don't like me, that doesn't bother me. It's the apathy that really bothers me. Like you're being dismissed. Yes. And that is what makes me, I've ripped his shirt for trying to walk away from me. Like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, are they Benham issues? Or are they linked to the fact that, would you say it's your, your dad? Oh, like, absolutely. Been around? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I have abandonment issues that come from my childhood. 
and from my mom as well. So that w- that shows up. And mm-hmm. what people don't realize about stand-up comedians is that we use comedy to heal on mm-hmm. microphone at a time. You know, that's our therapy. That's how we work. Have you done stuff. therapy other than oh, stand-up yeah. comedy? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that informs your comedy as well, I'm sure. Because you seem pretty, yeah. you seem very self-aware and evolved. A lot of comics, they may be funny and talk about stuff, but they actually don't really know where it's coming from. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Well, you know, evolved, I think, is such a big word for me. Like, I think I would like to be evolved. Um, but I know I'm very well aware of a lot of my issues, and some I'm not. You know, there are some issues that I have that are new to me. Yeah. And I'm learning about, um, you know, being uh, maternal with everybody. Because I've been a mom for so long and so young. How old is your kid? My, my son is 26 and my daughter's 22 okay, but i raised right. my siblings as well mm-hmm. so it's it it i've only known how to take care of people yeah and now as a grown woman you know where i'm like why don't they see me as the sexy woman is because i'm always <laughs> like you okay yeah you know That's what do right. you mean and being that 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 has been a, a crutch for me just yeah. always resorting to being maternal to people even people who are older than me and they for always sure. need me you know um and and, and Emery, I want to talk to you about, uh, you've been together for how long now? Two years. So two years. Two, more than two, but. Yeah. Has, have you, has you seen her comedy shift in the two years that you've been with her? Somewhat, yes. Um, she's gotten more confident. There was, a, in the beginning, she used to do this thing where it's like, oh, you don't like that? She would always do that. I would <laughs> taunt the audience. Yeah, like if they wouldn't laugh, she'd be like, oh, wasn't well, you too sensitive? And now, she just keeps going. Yeah. She's like. That's why I think I've noticed a shift. There's, it's not like you say I don't give a fuck, although you do say I don't give a fuck too. But it's an attitude that is authentically, I don't give a fuck if you like this. Right. And another thing she would would happen a lot is that she would say joke after joke after joke, like bang, bang, bang. And now there's more layers to each one, so she'll stretch it a little bit more. And um, and she writes a lot on stage versus at home, so yeah, to record everything. And then um, she starts to incorporate things that I, I – how did you even remember that is, is always astonishing to me. But then she'll be able to get it the next time, and then she'll incorporate something new just ba- based on what she said on stage like the day before or two days earlier. Yeah, and do you record your sets on stage every time? Sometimes. Sometimes, I mean, yeah. It's up to me. It's do, like you, do you get to – do you ever go, hey, I got some feedback for this joke. Do you ever contribute? Yeah, he does. He gave me a joke before. I've tried it on stage. Do you like it? The first time we did you were probably like, motherfucker, yeah, be careful. Yeah, shut up. Right. <laughs> See, you saw him. He said it himself. The, f- the first time, the first time, because it takes a while to trust someone's not only th- their creative instincts, mm-hmm. but their it, creative instincts are coming from a place that is artistically has artistic integrity. It's not coming from a place of jealousy or right. or pettiness. And it, it had to be. It took a while though because I actually incorporate her jokes into normal conversations during oh, the day, so, <laughs> so I can ridiculous. actually repeat everything what she says and put into a. Give me a good one that you use. A joke she does. Every single one I can turn it into something. <laughs> He does. He will. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Respond. So until I started to, um, until I until she realized that I knew her entire set from beginning to end, and all different, you know, different rooms should use different jokes based on who's in the room. Um, that's when she started to like listen to what I had to say. Yeah. And I wasn't. I wasn't. I was never. Our relationship is different too. It's it's more of a like we both listen more than we talk. And so I'm always waiting to say something and waiting for the right time to say something. So I never just like 
deliver how I feel. I think about how I'm going to say it, and then I'll, I'll wait a couple days, and I'll be like, hey, I want to talk to you about this one little thing. And then she absorbs it better than just saying it right then and there. Yeah, saying it right then and there, of course. He's also gotten educated on the process. Yeah. When I met him, right, I had just taped two specials, right, two ensemble specials. And these specials were what? The one is on HBO, one is on Showtime. They're called what? Just for the audience. One is an all-star comedy jam with Bill Bellamy that I did. And then the other one is called Entrenos, which is on the HBO Comedy Channel. So if you go with my with my boy Eric Black, right? Right. I did it with Eric mm-hmm. and Orlando, uh, Orlando Labor. Yeah. So um, when I, I taped that while I was with him, but I've taped 13 TV comedy sets in the last years. Right. Wow. Since 2014. So in the last five years, I've done 13 TV sets and I've done two sets in Spanish on television. Oh, wow. So when I met him. I was in um, in that cycle of doing jokes that were post last comic standing and there were new jokes. And even though he heard them over and over again, they were still new jokes to new me. For you, yeah. And then new jokes to America because, you right, know. They haven't seen them. They haven't heard them. They hadn't heard them. But when you are with somebody every day and you're yeah. hearing the jokes, you know. Th- and, and the thing They don't get that you're building a new, whole new. Yeah, and the, and the other thing is that people don't realize, like, nobody would ever go to a Michael Jackson concert and say, oh, not Thriller. Yeah, what you got? Course. You got a new song? They don't realize that comedians, our album is our, your is our Thriller, you know, yeah. and, uh, or, you know, our that's our album. And so when people are like, you got any new jokes? You got any new jokes? You got any new? I'm not a, I'm not a writer for a TV show. So when, you know, you see these guys go on stage and they're, every night you see um, Neil Brennan doing 20 new jokes, Usually they're feeding those jokes to somebody else and they're testing them on the audience. For I'm sure. a stand-up comedian. This is my album. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. I was in a space where I had just done a lot of stuff and um, my career was in a very interesting space and I was taking a break because I had, from last comic standing, I was on the road every, you know, I was consistently on the road for two years, which was really hard for me because I was a, a single mom. Were you part of the Last Comic Standing tour? No. So it was your own tour, headline tour that came from Last Comic Because they had to go on a mandatory tour. Yeah, I remember that. That, uh, And then they had to cut down to five because before it was ten. I was in the top ten, so I didn't make the cut for the five. The clubs were booking me as soon as I got off. So I hit the road before they did because they had to continue on. Yeah. Until so I was on the road, you know, and um, and I was gone and two years straight, just constantly on the road, which, you know, is really taxing. Yeah, it was nonstop. I I was. And you also have kids. And I was going from a nightclub like I'll do the date in Funny Bone and then I got to do a theater date in Seattle with the Shaq All Stars because they were prepping me for my taping. Yeah. So it was just. So when I met him, I was taking a break and then I started rebuilding again. And now I'm back on the road, you know, but it was just it was so uh, it's so hard to explain to somebody about comedy because they got to hear the same jokes over and over again. And they don't realize that you're trying to find tags, you're trying to find nuance, you're workshopping a joke. Of course, you know, um, and, and it's. You know, he, he's there now. He's there for me. The building process. This cat joke is a new joke for me. That joke, I want you to almost do it because I know there's an no audience. But that joke, I was watching it. Not only did it murder, but it it kept building, right. and it almost felt because so let me mutilate the premise of it. 
but basically about how cats used to be lost, mm-hmm. but now cats are missing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, like they're a child. And, and it was basically a referendum on crazy white women, yep. how they are with their cats, how they make out with their cats. And, and, but you kind of build to like, I, I'm, I like animals. I'm with you, white women. And the audience, it like unleashed this huge, cause they knew you were talking about white women without you saying it was about right. white women. And then you say it finally then they're like, yes, I fucking knew it. You're talking about white women. <laughs> because the woman, listen, it, it, and, and there's still more, one more layer that I want to add to the joke. There's a woman whose cat is missing. The cat is cute. It's a white cat with blue eyes, of course. And the cat is missing, <laughs> but she's got her phone number on the thing. It's mit- to where it's missing from, uh-huh. what street she lives on, and that she's offering a reward. Yeah. And I'm like, this bitch wants to get robbed. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, like on the on street poles. Yeah. And I'm like, people have in the in an effort to make a statement about her animal, she is putting her family and her life in harm's way. Oh my god. And it's just so ridiculous because we know it's your pet. We get it. Yes. It's not Billy. It's not your child. By the way, here is I used to do a bit about a cat. I don't do it anymore. You can have this if it fits into. It was about a lost a lost cat thing, and the sign said "responds to the name Kaylee." I'm like, bitch, that cat doesn't respond to the name, really. You cat think don't. cats cats like what to fucking say Kaylee? Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah I love no. My, cats don't respond. Period. period. They are really good. Did you at call their cat's mind. name like that. Cat's. It's so funny. It was on a post one time. So I do want to talk. I, I know you have to go in a bit, but I want to talk about sort of like what's, uh, like what's your, what's your plan? Like what's your end game? Obviously, the road. You've done the road a lot. You cruise ships no more. No more. Uh, you, you got your guy here. You're in L.A. You got a home in L.A. You're working at all the clubs. Um, so. Is the road has it has it lost its luster? Do you want to keep doing it? Do you feel like it's necessary? I don't ever want to stop performing uh, for on the road. I would just like for it to look differently for me because right now the road is hard for me. The vo- the road is a struggle. Um, as a woman, I have to worry about my safety as well as getting paid a dignified wage. You know, yeah. I get paid less than men to do the same things that are doing and people who have lesser credits than me or whatever. So I would, I would love to perform. I don't want to have to depend on the road to survive. Yeah. You know, I want the road to be uh, the complement to what's happening here. So for the road for you, would it be like you do a theater? I would love to do theaters, like once yeah. a month. Like Bill Maher, the Bill Maher Road. Yeah, Bill Maher Road, <laughs> Bill Burr Road. Yes. You know, Chris Rock Road. Like, I would love to be elevate the status of a, a Latin woman in comedy because we don't have, we don't have a George Lopez. I was about to say, who who are the Latin women of comedy right now? There are four of us. There's Cristela, Angela Johnson, Gina Brion, and myself. Oh wow! We're the four that. That's it. Um, there are some have you women. have you guys organized together done a show together or? um I, I actually invited them to do a show with me angela was out in australia and she couldn't make it christella didn't respond and gina brian showed up yeah so um and did you used to did you come up in new york doing stand-up or were you always i'm out? a new york comic now but no i didn't i started okay. here but i that was one so this is how i work um i sit down bill and i say these are the things that i want to do and I create this list of things that I want to do that I feel will help me become a better comedian. Things you want to do in life. 
and as comedy. In comedy, okay. So comedy for me was the cruise ship was one. Mm-hmm. One of my biggest objectives was becoming a regular comic in New York. Yeah. And I, when I say regular, I meant the seller. And okay. I got past that the seller. Uh, two or three years ago which be, being p- past the comedy seller for those who don't know it, it's it's probably the hardest club to get into in mm-hmm. the world maybe? yeah it's the hardest club um, and so i i started going to new york once a month and for a week and just going non-stop i would go up six seven times a night i remember doing 27 sets in one weekend wow just like non-stop 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 and um, and I got past at the cellar and at the stand, and then I started. Uh, I still go to New York every month. I was in. I was on this week at the Comedy Center cellar, but it was very important for me to become a comedian in New York because. Uh, what's his name told me? Steve Hofstetter said, "You go on the road to get good. You go to New York to get great, and you come to L.A. to get famous." So I Very I was smart. like I gotta I have to do the New York thing. So yeah. I started going to New York and now I'm a I have a name in New York. Yeah, People and so you can go and do the cellar when you want to do the cellar. Yeah, I yeah. work with Dan Soder and I've I've gone up after Louis C.K. He watched my set and gave me notes. I've gone on stage with Dave Attell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after I've followed Dave Attell and my first time at the cellar I had to follow Hannibal Burris. Yeah. So they do what Jamie Masada does here. He puts you up after the after the beasts so that yeah. you can grow. Yeah. I've talked to so many comics on this podcast who passed here. And how did they pass? They did Midnight After Dan Cook. Yep. That was Jamie's way of saying if and this is and I'm talking about I'm talking about 2006 Dan yeah, Cook. 2008 Dan Cook when when he was murdering ways that were crazy. And yeah, he would say you follow him after the 10 o'clock Saturday, do a midnight spot after that, and if you can hold your own, you probably get passed. Um so do you want to, do you see yourself as a sitcom actress? Is that sort of like, in terms of in LA, the fame thing, is that kind of like, are you looking for that? Or do you see that? I'm working on stuff like that right now. Um, you guys are lo- looking at each other like, we got some shit cooking, but we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> well, no, it's not that. It's just, do you really want to be an actress on a show? I'm just curious. I'm yeah. just well, asking. I, we could talk about, you know, I, I, we I worked with you very briefly uh, on yeah, an audition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, and, you coached uh, me. I which was a very a weird audition, by the way. It was and the you, worst. It was huge, like yeah. monologue by monologue. And it was very abstract. But anyway, but yeah. you struck me as like it, it didn't str- it didn't strike me as anything out of your wheelhouse or no, anything. No, I were, was a performing arts kid. Yeah. I came here to be an actress because I wasn't a comedian when I came here. Ah, yeah. I came here to create my own. I came here to be a film actress. To be very specific. Um, and I wrote a movie that made it to the final cut of the Sundance Writers Lab. Oh, wow. And I wrote it for myself because people would always say, you're tall, you're really tall, actresses are not tall. And I said, I'm going to write my own stuff. And I wrote a movie, and it got, I made me move here because I, I spoke to the presidents of, of the Sundance organization. Yeah. Kenneth was like, yeah, this is, you really, you got, you got this writing bone, you're funny, if you can perform this. And then I came here, and then I got swept into comedy later. And then I felt, you know, I, I fell in love with comedy. I never I never did comedy with the expectation that it would create a way for of me Of course. As an actress. Yeah, because you're a natural comic. Right. You weren't like, this is my way in. Right. But then I realized that comedy is my way in in a different way because I honestly want to do projects that matter, some, that matter to me. Of like, course. Like, I don't want to be 
girl number three in your TV, on your TV show or the funny girl at the coffee shop. I want to I want to have I have something to say. So um, I do want to act, but I want to act on my terms and do, yeah. the, do the projects that I want to do. I want to create. I have you do have you written y- your your own pilots and shop yeah, them I've been around? Working on, yeah, I work. I wrote a pilot. I'm working on it. My daughter gave me some brutal notes on my pilot. <laughs> she was like, whoa. But I, um, you know, I'm creating my own projects and comedy has has paved the way for me for that it's really opened up doors that were not open before i was doing stand-up yeah for sure and so what is uh in the more immediate future what's what's next for you what do you got not like the next couple weeks but sort of just another year on the road is it is it Um, focus more in la i'm gonna always be on the road that's not gonna go anywhere but um you know, I hope that uh, I look forward to being on television this year and not just as a stand-up. Um, and I look forward to um, also hosting because I, I want to do something in the hosting space, you know. Um, and also Would you want to do, do like a late-night talk show type I would of host? love to do a late-night talk show. I mean, I there's never – has there ever been a Latin woman hosting a show? No. No. No, and – that Latin women haven't done anything but clean the houses of the showrunners in Hollywood. It's actually really, because it's so funny, because maybe this is me coming from a point of, of white privilege. I don't think about it that much. Mm-hmm. But then when I do think about it, I go, oh, shit. Yeah, because yeah. you, you can look up and see, you know, Johnny Carson when you're little or David Letterman and say, I want to be like that. Yeah. I never had any of that. I have to look at Johnny Carson and David Letterman. Uh, but there's never a reflection of me in that space because there's never been a woman... Now I'm now my brain is like racking itself. So, mm-hmm. are there any female Latin comedians, older generation that I'm just not thinking of? Well, there were a few. I mean, there was the the queens of comedy like Debbie Gutierrez and Sheila Rivera and um, Sara Contreras. There's there are a lot of them who who tried to knock those doors doors down for yeah. us. Yeah, uh, but there it hasn't been any. That's great. So it must also feel very inspiring for you because it's like yeah. you could be the you could be that person who paves the way for a whole new generation. Yeah, we need an Ellen. There's so many yeah. of us in this country that we could use a few Ellens. Yeah, well, we need Elenita. Not not for long, okay? Elena. With this president, no, I'm just kidding. That's I'm kidding. I love I love <laughs> I love Trump supporters, guys. I'll be in Reno in two weeks. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'll be there too. What day is you going to Reno? Uh, I'll be there the fourth through the tenth, I think. Oh, you'll be there when I'm there. Where will you be? I'll be at the Laugh Factory there. Oh, I'll be at the Pioneer Center. Oh, really? Yeah. Same around the same time? Mm-hmm. I get there on the eight, on the seventh. This is probably the whitest thing you'll ever hear me say. But do you ever snowboard or ski? No, but I want to snowboard. If you want to go, we, we'll go. Okay. When I'm when I'm up there for sure. Oh, I don't know about skiing, but I'm not a good snowboarder. But I, I want. I'll be there with Matt Rife. You know Matt Rife. Yeah, I love and, Matt. Uh, and Sean Joshi. So. Awesome. Is there anything? And I think I think you're really amazing. I think you're an awesome woman, an amazing comic. And Ditto. Uh, and yeah. me too. Super, super, super cool. I'm so glad you were able to do this. I've wanted you to do this for a long time. Is there anything that you want to say? I kind of feel like you, you're dropping like these serious pearls of wisdom that I keep wanting you to repeat. But I know, but it makes me feel like people are like, she used to be a motivational speaker. But She's not funny, but it's like. But why I, not? But I mean, there are people who do both, you know? Yeah. And the other thing is that with comedians, it's like, I'm a comedian on stage. I'm not a jester. I'm not a clown. Like, yes. I can have a conversation without always being, you know, it's so <laughs> annoying to talk to comedians who are always on. Yeah. You know, I'm not, like, I'm not a clown. I'm having a conversation with you. I don't feel like I need to drop my jokes in. Like, yes. and I mean, if they, if they apply, they apply. But, um, you know, um, 
all I have to say is that I really love comedy and I think that everything that supports it and moves it forward um, makes the world a better place. And I hope they leave comedy alone. It's the one safe well, space. I mean, b- quick segue, the Louis C.K. thing that happened recently where he was secretly recorded saying some things that I personally thought were hilarious. Mm-hmm. But A lot of people did. And comics lambasted him. Judd Apatow lambasted I, I, I was really kind of, that was what I was most upset by, the mm-hmm. fact that I feel like we are a community. And the fact that people turned on him as a comic, not just as a person, I get that, but... Well, I think with Louie is that it doesn't help that he's in the situation that he's in. Yeah. You know, and I think that people feel like they cannot support him because of his situation. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's cool to record comedians when they're working out and release the recordings. Yes. Period. That joke, actually, I didn't think was funny when he made fun of the kids because I just I'm from Florida. Yeah, of course. And just thinking about those kids. But. I will still stand on the front lines for his right to say it because that's who I am as a comic and I'm not one to muzzle other comedians. If I don't like what they're saying, then I just step away and I suggest that other people do the same. I don't think he's yelling out fire in a comedy club and causing people to die. Then his First Amendment right is well within his right for him to say whatever he wants to say in the name of his comedy. And there are those people who love him and will come see him. But I just think that with Louis right now, it's, it's like R. Kelly, you know, like... R. Kelly has some really great songs, mm-hmm. but nobody wants to say that those songs are great because of who he is. And it's really difficult to separate the art from the yeah. from the artist when they are um, when the things that they do are so egregious. And that's I mean, let's be honest, if, if you were to conflate the artist with their personal lives, you'd have to burn down the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You'd have to burn down. the oh, Louvre. Everybody. You'd have to, you know, yeah. no, no. One hundred percent. I just think that with Louis, that's, you know, I don't, I don't think, I think we have a community and we should police our own. And if you have a problem with a comedian and what they said, it's, it better serves us all as comedians for you to talk to that comic and say, Hey man, maybe that shouldn't have been, you know, or maybe you shouldn't lead with that being that you still haven't apologized for pulling your dick out on people. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But I don't think that going to the public arena to get to pander to, People who don't know anything about comedy is the way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I well, also think Sam Tripoli is not going to have a career anymore because he. What do you do? He attacked Judd Apatow on Twitter. I'm joking, but I just oh, he did he? Well, yeah. he does, he's not going to have a career because he believes that like the Holocaust was fake. Oh, but anyway, he does. Well, he's a conspiracy theorist. Oh wow! I All went to the shit. Holocaust Museum in Israel. Yeah. And I I went to the children, yeah. part and um, I I don't know about. I, I can't rock. I can't wait now. to have him on my on my podcast to talk about that shit. Anyway, thank Can you, you ask so much. Him I, if he wears eyeliner too, because I'd like to know. <laughs> you guys, you guys, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, uh, thank you, Emerson. Thank you for um, thank you, Emery. Emery, oh my god, I said Emerson. Call Sorry, Emery. Emery okay, Stevens. Else I know I read, what are your handles, real quick? Funny Ida, funny A I D A. At Instagram and Twitter and, and all that Instagram stuff. And Twitter and on Facebook, which I have a really uh, good following, is Ida. A-I-D-A dot Rodriguez. So join me there. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank Once you, again. Bill. This is great. Yay. All right. It's Bill Dawes signing off from the Afterlife. Bye-bye. It's the Afterlife. Afterlife. Welcome to the Afterlife. 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 Afterlife, man. <laughs>
Go ahead, pull up a chair.